Welcome to theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. The other host joining me today is Danielson. Hello. Now, before we start today's episode, I just want to state that no AI programs were used or harmed in the creation of this episode. The research for this show and all of its work was created solely by humans. If you would like to support the show, then there are a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways to do that is through Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 171 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see the full list of Patreon episodes, go to our website, Theories of the Third Kind. Com and click on the Patreon Episodes tab, and there you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is another bizarre mysterious death involving teenagers in a small town in Idaho. So you get access to that episode, as well as all the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you'd like to still help us out, then feel free to leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify. That helps us out more than you know. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. Oh, and one last thing. Go follow our Instagram and YouTube channel to stay up to date on all announcements, news, and updates. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over Charles Morgan's bizarre death. And how this episode will go today is that we'll talk about who Charles Morgan is, where he lived at in Arizona, the bizarre things that happened to him, the theories surrounding his death, and then wrap things up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. In a small town, a prominent businessman is kidnapped and has hallucinogenic drugs placed into his throat. After surviving the first kidnapping, this individual goes on to make claims that he was a secret agent working with the federal government and that his family was in danger. Over the following months, even more bizarre and unexplained things occur. Was this all an orchestrated plot designed to hide the truth, leaving us to grapple with questions that may forever remain unanswered? In this exploration, we piece together the fragments of a puzzle that may forever remain incomplete. This is The Bizarre Death of Charles Morgan. All right, so a few weeks ago, I was sitting around, just lounging around the house, reading Don Quixote, which has nothing to do with our episode today. However, I heard, 
I heard my phone go off and I had a text message from Daniel. Now, this text message was very explicit and I can't repeat what it said. However, in it, he did say, oh, hey, by the way, have you heard about this person named Charles Morgan and his bizarre death? Of course, I had not. So I ended up looking into this individual and I was shocked. I quickly realized that this is one of two things. This death of Charles Morgan is either the most bizarre, unsolved murder in history, or it is the most elaborate suicide in history. Regardless, it is a very strange story, and I knew we had to cover it. So I text Dan back, and I was like, hey, quit sending me pictures of corn dogs, man. I don't like those. Let's cover this story this week. And he was like, absolutely. So without further ado, Dan, do you want to start off today's episode for us? All right. Before we dive into this story, you first need to know about a few things. The first thing you need to know is that in the 1970s, if you were a criminal and you had a lot of money that you had obtained illegally and you needed it laundered, then Arizona was the place to go. Now, at the time, Arizona's state laws allowed anyone, and I mean anyone, to buy land through blind trust accounts, which were usually handled by an escrow service. And this made it super easy for criminals to engage in money laundering anonymously. Now, not only was Arizona considered a haven for money laundering, but it was also a pipeline for drug traffickers. So now that you understand that, let's jump forward a bit to 1977, when this entire mystery occurs. So at this time, a 39-year-old man named Charles Curtis Morgan was living in Tucson, Arizona with his wife, Ruth, and their four daughters. Charles had a good life, Obviously, having four kids means that, you know, him and his wife were f***ing. Oh, yeah, they were. Also, Charles had some money, okay? Now, I don't mean he was super rich. He wasn't Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, but he was pretty well off. He was the president of Statewide Escrow Service, Inc. So Charles and his family seemed to be living the American dream, and everything was going great for them. However, that would all quickly change. Real quick, I just want to state that we do have a photograph of Charles Morgan at the age of 39, and we'll provide it on our website, Theories of the Third Kind, for anyone that wants to take a look at it, along with all the other images and photographs that uh, we talk about today. But I have one question for you, Dan. Does he look 39 in this photo, or does he look like he's 69 in this photo? He looks a little bit older because of the, you know, gray hair and his beard, and I definitely think that's a toupee he's wearing. Ooh, I don't know. It is way darker than the sides of his head, and it just doesn't look like it's positioned right to me. Yeah, I think you're right. Plus, the glasses don't help much. No, those are glasses like my dad wears. See, I'm 35. Do I look this old? No. Thank you. All right, so let's continue on with the story, Dan. Tell us about what happens next. On March 22nd, 1977, Charles dropped his daughters off at school, just like every morning, and then headed to work. Later that evening, Ruth and his four daughters waited for him to come home from work, but he never did. Days passed, and Ruth was getting worried as to where her husband was at. And by the way, she never called the police during this period while her husband was missing, which I find quite odd, but I'll save it for our theory section. So finally, three days later, on March 25th, at 2 a.m., Ruth woke up to her dogs barking 
and a loud thump at the back door. She got up, went to the door, and opened it. Standing there outside the door was Charles. He was wearing the same clothes that he had left to work in three days ago. He had not bathed or shaved in the past few days. He was missing a shoe and had one plastic handcuff around one ankle and a set of plastic handcuffs around his hand. Of course, Ruth, seeing her husband Charles in this type of state, it sort of startled her. And she said, Where have you been? And what is wrong with you? Are you okay? Charles motioned to his throat and didn't say a word. Ruth was confused and asked him, Can you talk? Can you write, dear? What's going on? I'm so confused. Charles shook his head, yes. Ruth then ran into the kitchen and got a tablet of paper and pen. Charles wrote on the paper that he had been kidnapped and tortured. Also, he wrote down that his throat had been painted with a hallucinogenic drug and that the drug could drive him insane or destroy his nervous system and kill him. After reading this, Ruth said that they should go to the police or the hospital. However, Charles refused. He ended up writing down on the notepad that going to the hospital or the police would only put the rest of their family in danger. Over the next following week, Ruth nursed her husband back to health. Now, it is important to mention that during this period, it took a while for Charles to get his voice back. It didn't immediately return, you know, after the painted drug disappeared in his throat. He couldn't speak for almost that entire week. So during that week, Charles continued to communicate with his wife by writing things down. On one occasion, he told Ruth, and we quote, They took my treasury identification. Of course, Ruth was confused and asked Charles to elaborate, in which he wrote down, and we quote, I have a secret identity as an agent for the federal government and have been working for them for about the past two to three years. Now, we just want to mention that we dug and we dug and we scoured the interwebs, but we could not find out what Ruth said to Charles after he had told her that. But with that being said, we do want everyone to sort of keep in the back of their mind what Charles had said because we're going to mention it later on. Anyway, let's continue on with the story. So a week passed and eventually Charles got his voice and health back. Also, this kidnapping lit a fire under him. He was determined to never be kidnapped again. So what did he do? Well, he purchased a bulletproof vest. Not only that, but he also purchased a 357 Magnum handgun for personal protection. So from that point forward, wherever Charles went, he wore his bulletproof vest and had his handgun on his side. And I mean, it didn't matter where he went. He always carried that thing on him. Church, his swimming pool, the local bingo hall, the grocery store, parent-teacher meetings, watering his grass in the morning, eating breakfast, making love with his wife. He was never without his bulletproof vest or his handgun. Obviously, he didn't take it to all those places with him. But when he would go out in public, he would often have those items on him. Another thing is that going forward, Charles made sure that he was the only one who drove his daughters to and from school. So for the next few months, nothing really happened. Charles continued to go to work, and his life seemed to turn back to normal. However, on June 7th, it all changed. On the morning of June 7th, Charles did not arrive at work. However, 
A little bit before noon, he did end up calling his work and telling him that he would be in in about 30 minutes. That evening rolls around and he never arrives at work. The local county sheriff's department is notified and a couple days later, a missing persons report is filed. The local sheriff's department, PCSD, ends up putting out a missing persons bulletin on Charles, saying, hey, this person's missing. Where the hell's he at? So for the next few days, nothing really happens. His daughters and wife continue to sit at home near their telephone in hopes of Charles calling or getting news that he was found alive. Finally, on June 16th, nine days after Charles went missing, the family's phone ends up ringing. Charles's wife, Ruth, picks up the phone and says, Hello? A woman's voice on the other end of the line says, in which Ruth responded with, Yes, this is me. The unknown woman then tells Ruth, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. Before Ruth could say anything, the other woman hung up the phone. Ruth grabs her Bible and looks the passage up. The passage says, Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed and then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. After reading this, Ruth called the police and reported the phone call to them. However, nothing could be really done. So we fast forward two days later, on June 18, 1977. On this day, two individuals were walking on the Indian Reservation in southwest Arizona. They were enjoying their daily walk, just strolling along the reservation and talking about the good old days. All of a sudden, the couple stumbles upon a dead body. They end up poking the body with a stick and then decide to call the police. The police immediately come out and start an investigation. It was quickly determined that the dead body was that of Charles Morgan. It was discovered that Charles was wearing his bulletproof vest and had been shot once in the back of the head. His 357 Magnum was lying next to him and had been previously fired once, in which the investigators discovered that the bullet that shot him had come from his own 357 Magnum. Also, Charles's car, which was a newly purchased Mercury Cougar, was also found at the scene, as well as a pair of sunglasses that did not belong to him and a single tooth that did belong to Charles, except it was wrapped up in a handkerchief. So somebody pulled his tooth, or he pulled his tooth, and put it in a hanky. Nice. As weird as that is, things only became more odd when the police discovered that Charles had a $2 bill clipped on the inside of his underwear. Written on the $2 bill were seven Spanish names, beginning with the letters A through G. Now we would give you these Spanish names, but we cannot make them out because the writing is so bad. Also, another thing worth mentioning is that next to these names is Ecclesiastes 12 with the verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows drawn on the bill's serial number. Of course, this was the same Bible verse that the mysterious female caller had given to Chuck's wife. And we do have a picture of that $2 bill along with the names and the uh, other notations. So on the back of that $2 bill, it was discovered that there was a roughly drawn map. Now, before we get into that, 
We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, welcome back. So on the back of that $2 bill, it was discovered that there was a roughly drawn map. The map led to an area between Tucson and Mexico, two certain towns that were both known for smuggling. And we have that image as well on our website. And I have no idea how they figured out that this was a map, that these lines, it just looks like random lines with a circle. That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. So, of course, after finding all of this weird shit, you know, the $2 bill with all the writings on it, the tooth and the handkerchief, the sunglasses that did not belong to him, Chuck's dead body with a hole in the back of his head, the local police was, they were like, look, we can't come to a conclusion right now. We're going to have to start an official investigation into Charles's death, which, of course, they started. However, two days later, something weird happened. A woman called the local county sheriff's department. She called herself Green Eyes and stated that she was the same person who had called Chuck's wife a few days ago, quoting the Bible passage. Green Eyes had also stated that Charles had come to meet her at a local motel just before he died. He had shown her a briefcase containing a large amount of cash. Green Eyes then went on to say that Charles told her that the cash was to pay off a hitman who had been contracted by the mob to kill him, and if the mob accepted the money, then everything would be all right. She also stated that the last time she heard from Charles was a few days before he was found dead. Charles ended up calling her around noon. It was during that call he had asked Green Eyes to call his wife to tell her that he was okay. Green Eyes then told the police that was all the information she had and hung up the phone. So following that, nothing else really happened for the next following weeks. However, three weeks after that phone call from Green Eyes, Ruth and her daughters were just sitting in their home, still mourning the loss of Charles, when all of a sudden there was a loud knock at their front door. Ruth opened her front door, and standing there were two men, dressed in suits. The men stated that they were with the FBI and quickly opened and closed their identification badges. The men told Ruth that they wanted to come inside of her house and look around for a bit, but they never stated what they were looking for. Ruth, trusting that these were real FBI agents, reluctantly agreed and allowed them into her home. So for the next few hours, the two men tore through Charles's home as if they were looking for something very specific. Eventually, the two men ended up randomly leaving, not saying a single word to Ruth or the kids. A few days later, two individuals in suits showed up to Charles's work office. These men claimed to be FBI agents and, of course, were granted access to Charles's office, in which the men ransacked his office and then quickly left. Around this time, Charles's car that was impounded by the police, it had been broken into while in possession of authorities. However, the police did not know who broke into it. Also, it was stated that the car was ransacked as well. Yeah. So a few days later, the PCSD, which is the local sheriff's department, 
ended up wrapping up their investigation into the death of Charles, and they decided to make an announcement. Spokeswoman Don Barkman of the Sheriff's Department stated that in their investigation, they had discovered that Charles Morgan had been hiding out at a West Side motel for more than a week before he had died. An acquaintance also had told investigators that Charles was trying to pull together enough cash to buy off a contract on his life. The autopsy that was done on Charles determined that he had been shot by a large caliber bullet in the back of his head. His firearm was found next to him. However, no fingerprints were found on the gun. But gunshot residue was found on one hand of Charles, which suggests that his hand was close to the gun when it was fired. After all of that was said, the sheriff's department ended the announcement by stating, and we quote, We have found no evidence that anyone took part in the death of Charles Morgan other than himself. Due to this, the sheriff's department classifies this case of Charles Morgan as a suicide. Now, even though the sheriff's department classified Charles Morgan as a suicide, the county medical examiner's officer disagreed. They silently listed Charles Morgan's death as an unsolved death. Of course, Charles's wife, Ruth, and his daughters thought that the ruling of his death being a suicide by the sheriff's department was a complete lie. For many years, the family tried to get word out about their father and husband's death to try and figure out what really happened. In 2006, Ruth ended up dying of cancer, and as of today, the couple's four daughters maintain that their father was murdered to protect the interests of corrupt businessmen and politicians in the area. So that right there is the story of Charles Morgan and his bizarre death. Now, we usually go into strange facts and findings next, but we included all of those strange facts and findings in our story today. So instead, we're going to hop straight into the fun part of the episode and discuss the theories as to what might have happened to Charles. So Dan, do you want to tell us about this first theory that we have? Now, before we hop into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So the first theory is called committed suicide. The local sheriff's department officially ruled that Charles' death was a suicide. So is it possible that it was? Well, there are a number of factors pointing to the idea that he did commit suicide. He was killed with his own gun, the 357 Magnum. There was gunshot residue on his hand. He seemed to be afraid of someone or something in the weeks before his death. And he perhaps ended his own life to escape the threat and to stop them from going after his family. I don't know, man. I figured it'd be very difficult to shoot yourself in the back of the head, especially while wearing a bulletproof vest. You don't have much mobility while wearing that. Well, at least the one I wore for a little while. No, you really don't. And like you said, it's kind of hard to, especially a 357 Magnum. Not saying that I've done it, but, you know, trying to do that, though, I don't trust that. No. But that right there is one of the theories. Uh, so let's talk about this next one. So many people believe that Charles was murdered in order to silence him simply because he knew too much about corrupt businessmen and politicians in the area. I mean, if you remember back, he was the president of that escrow service who worked at the time in Arizona as like the middle person for these gangs and organizations as, you know, the money launderer for them. And something else to add to this is that his daughters actually agree that he was murdered as a way to have him silenced. 
One of his daughters went on record and stated, and we quote, My father had a lot of information about people here in Tucson that could have been very detrimental. There was a lot of information about politicians, people who are still alive that work in our government. He had that information, and they wanted to silence him. End quote. I could see that because two men in suits showed up at their house and they were looking for something specific, but they didn't find it. They could have been looking for maybe like Epstein's book. Yeah, evidence of like, hey, yeah, uh, so he collected all this data that these politicians are using this service to, you know, illegally launder money that they're getting from lobbyists or certain corporations. And these politicians that are worried hired these goons that uh, fake being FBI agents so they can ransack Charles's house and see if he has any of that incriminating evidence against them. I mean, it could have been the FBI that actually showed up. If it is governmental, like politicians and shit. There was a request made to the FBI by an independent researcher a few years ago, and uh, he requested any information the FBI had about Charles Morgan. They had nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. They didn't even state that they had classified information about him. They just said they had nothing. This next theory kind of adds to the more strangeness. So why don't you tell us about it, Dan? All right. So this next theory is that he possibly pissed off a mob or a gang. When looking into this, it was discovered that before Charles had passed away, he had recently testified in a secret state investigation on illegal activity occurring on both sides of the Arizona-Mexico border. Some suggest that because he had testified to the state regarding illegal activity, he was targeted by either a mob or a gang for retribution. This wouldn't be surprising as there have been many, many cases of people being killed by the mob or gang for cooperating with authorities. Perhaps one of these groups learned that he had cooperated with authorities and set out to get revenge on them. So him testifying in a secret state investigation on illegal activity occurring on both sides of Arizona and the Mexico border tells me that he knew about drugs being brought over by whomever and these individuals getting money and laundering it through his escrow service. Mm. And his testimony in that secret state investigation was like, yes, these are the individuals who I work with. So that means that who he testified with, whoever was around, there was a rat. They yes. like, hey, your guy over there, you know, Charles, Mr. Chuck there, he's ratting y'all out. Yes. Hmm. I could kind of see that. Yeah, which is, if, if that's the case, the FBI should have had any type of documentation about him, but they didn't, which is odd. Anyways, so let's get on to our next theory is that Charles was murdered for the money. Now, some suggest that this mysterious green eyes woman was the one who had actually killed Charles. Not for vengeance, not because he was a rat, but because he showed her his briefcase full of money. Maybe she is the one who shot him and stole his money? I mean, could the unidentified pair of sunglasses in the car belong to green eyes? Just throwing that out there. Another thing is that, hey, this situation could have happened. He could have been having an affair with this green eyes. That's why he missed work, okay? He was like, hey, I'm going to go see my side piece. He ends up taking a briefcase full of money to sort of like impress her, say, hey, I'm important. 
Look at all this money. Ooh, I'm in trouble. Ooh, baby, help me. Instead of impressing her, she's like, whoa, I need that money. And she kills him. So I think this one can actually go with either the second or third one, either with the politicians or the mob or gang. Now, it wasn't killing Charles for his money. He was working for the escrow service. He was laundering money for whoever. Sometimes these people that do the laundering take a little bit off the top for themselves. Now, Green Eyes was maybe a representative for one of those politicians, mobs, gang, whoever. And that money that he was showing her was like, you caught me. I'm sorry. You know, here's that money. I didn't spend it or anything. You know, I was just keeping it. Take it. You know, I hope we're good. So that contract was them coming after him for their own money that he was skimming. Damn. I like that, Dan. Look at you. Big old brains. Yeah. Green eyes. She was just like the representative. I don't think she did the killing there. But, you know, she probably called saying like, hey, your husband's gonna be fine. He returned the money. Probably thought, you know, he was gonna make it out, but he lost their trust. He had to get rid of him. Yeah. So let's say he was scared of being killed. He's like, well, how can I get the word out that these are the individuals that did it? He writes down their names on a $2 bill and draws a map and sticks it in his underwear or clips it onto his underwear. And he, he wrote it so badly that nobody can really make it out. But overall, I mean, his death was ruled a suicide. With that being said, there are still a number of lingering questions about this situation that have not been answered. Where did all the cash that he ended up collecting, where did that go? Why was one of his teeth found wrapped in a handkerchief in his car? Whose sunglasses were left in his car? What happened to him the first time he disappeared? And did those same people have something to do with his death? What was the meaning behind the writings on the $2 bill that was found on his underwear? Was there a deeper connection to the witness who provided information to the authorities, aka Green Eyes, about Charles's final days? Why was his car broken into while in police custody? Who were the two men pretending to be FBI agents who ransacked not only his home, but his work office? Those are the questions that have not been answered, that leave this case completely wide open. Yeah, there's a lot of those that are un- unanswered. I have the answers, though, but I'm not an investigator. So now I guess we roll into personal thoughts and theories. And I'm going to ask you, Dan, is what you mentioned earlier about Green Eyes, is that your personal thoughts and theories behind this entire thing? Do you think that is what happened, or do you think it's something else? That is probably what I'm going to go with. Just looking at these questions, where did the money go that he was collecting? Back to the drug dealers, probably. Why was Morgan's teeth found wrapped in a handkerchief? Torture. They gave it to him like, hey, here you go. Here's your tooth. Remember us. And he did mention that uh, after the first time he was kidnapped, that he was kidnapped and tortured. Yep. Whose sunglasses were left in Morgan's car? It was probably the kidnappers, but if they cleaned the gun, I mean, the sunglasses were probably clean. Who knows? Or he might have bought it and just didn't wear them. Try to hide his identity. They still found him. Yeah. Then uh, first time he got disappeared, they probably didn't know where the money was. They tortured him until he told him, hey, I got your money. I'll, I'll return it. I think it's not only the money, but I also think that they tortured him as a way to find out, hey, what have you told the federal government about us? You were in a secret state investigation meeting. Did you rat on us? Who did you rat out? Yep. Did you rat us out or did you rat somebody else out? Maybe their competition, something like that. The $2 bill. It was probably the probably names or something that linked to the people that were chasing after him. 
And considering that the authorities did find that, I think that is why they ransacked his house and the office and they broke into his car. If he had names like that on like a little $2 bill that's hidden in his butt crack, he probably had a book and they were trying to make sure that that book was not able to reach authorities. I'm going to agree with you somewhat, but I'm going to start at the beginning. This is what I think happened. Since he was the president of that company, he knew the details of the individuals that were laundering money, specifically maybe these drug cartels, okay, and maybe the mob. The federal government comes to him and says, hey, we're aware that you are doing this. We want you to become an informant for us. So for the next three to four years, he becomes an informant for the federal government. He's doing this undercover, okay, not telling anyone. However, during that secret state meeting, it comes out that he sort of ratted. After that, he gets kidnapped by the drug cartel who he is laundering money for. They torture him to try to figure out, did you name us? He says, no, 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 swears by it. But they also figure out he's skimming money. So they're like, look, we're going to give you a time frame, get our money back, and we're going to look deeper into this if you did rat on us. I think during that period of, of the three months or whatever is when the federal government does something that we're unaware of but they start taking actions against these, against these drug cartels and them laundering money. That makes them think that Charles did squeal on them. So in turn, they call him up maybe one day and are like, hey, we just had a shipment seized. We had all of our money seized that we're trying to launder. You ratted on us, didn't you, you piece of shit? And he's like, no, 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 I swear. And then they're like, look, all the money we lost, you're going to give it back to us. He goes into hiding at the motel to try to gather up the money because in that time when he goes to that motel he wants to keep his family safe he contacts the federal government hey i'm a secret agent i'm working for you guys you need to provide me with money to pay these people off they provide him with that he goes to meet up with the drug cartel they end up killing him they end up taking the money they pose as fbi agents to look through all of this stuff and I think that's what happened. But I also think there's a connection between the drug cartels and politicians based upon what his daughter said. Mm. That's what I think happened. And it's all being covered up by not only politicians, but the federal government, as well as the drug cartel. That right there makes me think that the first time he got tortured, kidnapped and tortured, whatever they painted in his throat was because he squealed. A hundred percent. They're just like, this is temporary. You can't speak. Next time, though. It's going to be permanent. You rat again, you son of a bitch, you rat again. Mm. Damn. This uh, was an excellent episode, but my heart goes out to his daughters, as well as anyone who is thinking about committing suicide. That is not the way to go, okay? If you're having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to someone. It is not the coward thing to do. Know that you are loved and know that we're proud of you. Also, if you know anybody that is going through a rough time or you may think, be going through a rough time don't hesitate to reach out one phone call one text could change everything you are absolutely right so with that being said that is the end of our episode today i want to thank you for joining us and again thank you for your support you are amazing every single one of you so with that being said dan you want to roll us out sure will it's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts because you 
are not alone.